Hi and welcome to the MIP Decoded podcast. The middle years program can tend to be a little confusing for those not directly involved on a day-to-day basis. So my aim, as well as the aim of MIP teachers around the world, is to clarify the components of this amazing program and to try to demystify some of the more complex aspects. The content of my conversations on this podcast is aimed at current or future MIP parents and students, educators who are interested in finding out more about the IB world, and teachers who are fairly new to the MIP. So in the previous episodes, my guests were colleagues here at Raha International School, and we looked in some detailed aspects such as developing research skills, as well as metacognition and its association with the Middle Years program. In today's episode, which is the first since June 2021, we changed direction slightly. I had the pleasure of chatting with some amazing young people to get their take on what the MYP has meant to them. I hope you enjoy the episode as much as I enjoyed having the conversation with these four rather extraordinary students. Hi guys, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Hello. Just to let uh, the listeners know, you guys are all in grade 10, which is also known as MYP 5. So you only have about seven weeks left of your MYP journey. Uh, why don't we start by having each of you introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your background, where you've lived, for example, and also how many years you've spent in the MIP. Hi, my name is Sadie, and I'm from Canada, but I've spent most of my life moving around quite a bit. I've lived um, multiple cities across Canada, and it's Singapore, and now I'm here in Abu Dhabi. And um, this is my first year in MYP, but I do have some experience in PYP in the IB uh, from grades 3 to 5. But other than that, I've been in the Canadian school curriculum. Uh, hi, my name is Morpa, and I'm from India. Um, I've also moved quite a bit. Um, I was born in Holland, and then um, later I moved to Nigeria and then the UAE. And um, I've been in the MIP since grade 4. Hi, I'm Adrian. I'm from Canada. I uh, spent the first six years of my life in Canada. I went up to grade one there. Then I moved here to Abu Dhabi. I was enrolled in the Canadian school and the Canadian curriculum for a year. And then I came over to, to IB at Raha. I did PYP, all of PYP at Raha, and now all of MYP as well. Um, hello, my name is Rithio. I've also lived a lot in a lot of places. I'm originally from Spain, but I've only lived there for four years in three different cities there. Then I moved to Saudi Arabia, then Dubai, and I came to Raha in second grade in the PYP, and I've also, just like Adrian, pretty much done all of MYP at Raha. Thanks, guys. Uh, So clearly, I've been a little bit strategic in my selection of guests for our chat today so that we can get uh, multiple perspectives. I guess the hope is that our conversation today will answer loads of questions that parents or students might have, and it may even produce a few questions and items for us as a school to consider as we move forward or towards the end of this academic year and get things in place for September. So why don't we start with you, Sadie? What are some of the things you immediately noticed as being quite different when you joined an MYP school compared with your previous experiences in Canada? Yeah, of course. So um, I think the major difference that I experienced when I first moved here was just the difference in workload and grading style. Um, I think there was a lot more work to be done for each subject and there were a lot more subjects to focus on. Um, Back home, we had multiple semesters and less classes per semester, whereas here it's all classes at once. So that was one major difference I saw. And then definitely grading out of eight rather than out of 100. Um, that's a big difference um, between whether you get a 94 and a 95 or whether you get a 7 and 8. Um, another difference I found was the amount of agency that students have and the independence they have in their own learning. Um, students have to really um, rely on themselves to find resources and get extra help if they need it rather than having teachers come to them. And do you feel that you get the support needed? Yeah, I do. If you ask for it, there's really there's a lot of support that you can get, um, but it's just a matter of doing so rather than having people come to you. Ah, okay. So, yeah, independence from a, from an early stage. So when you arrive in grade ten, it's, it's obviously a bit more tricky. What about you, Morvika? 
you've uh, achieved incredibly high grades, and this is your first year here. So clearly, uh, you are devoted to your studies. But let's let's try and move beyond your your really good grades. What uh, aspects of the MYP do you feel have helped you adapt so well when moving schools at this fairly late stage in your progression through the middle years? Uh, I think, like Sadie said, um, it's really about your own learning, about taking charge of your own learning. So since I came from a previous, like my previous school also was an IB curriculum, um, I already started learning about all these kind of like the IB, pro IB learner profiles about being um, disciplined and organized and being able to focus on your own learning rather than having to depend on others for that. And when I moved to this school, it was, it was easier to do that because I already had experience. So um, I think that the main aspects of the MIP are being able to learn to take charge of your own learning and being independent and also learning how to be organized and managing your time. I think that was what was most important when I moved to New School. Great. I think we'll ask Adrian and Rothio in a few minutes to please explain a bit about the different experiences we're moving between the PYP and the MIP. But before that, let's first focus a bit more on some MIP specifics. Um, I've got some printouts here for you guys uh, of the survey results from the student survey conducted in early December 2021. And there are a few things that I think you guys can help to articulate for me, looking at the grade 10 data specifically. So if we look at the graph of global contexts focus in subjects, um, what do you see and why do you think this is the case? Should we start with Adrian? Yeah, so... Um global context uh, focus in subjects here, we're clearly seeing that individuals and societies, sciences and English, are the three that tower above the rest. Um, this is something that I personally agree with. I think these were the, the options I chose on this survey as well. Okay, so just uh, to for the listeners, let's just quickly recap what the six global contexts are. Um, and they do actually link to the PYP's um, six transdisciplinary themes. Um, so I've got the little printout here as well. Maybe you guys can read through them. Sadie, do you want to start with the first one? Uh, the first one is identities and relationships, which connects with who we are. Um, orientation in space and time, which connects to where we are in place and time. A personal and cultural expression, which is connected to how we express ourselves. Scientific and technical innovation is connected to how the world works. Uh, globalization and sustainability corresponds with how we organize ourselves. Fairness and development connects to sharing the planet. So you mentioned um, the, the three subjects of individuals, societies, sciences, and what is the other one? English. English, right. So should we look at some of the units and how the global context uh, comes through in those units? Uh, yeah, for sure. So in um, English, our very first unit this year was about podcasts. It was called Podcasts on Blast. We in that unit, we delved into the world of podcasting. We explored what a podcast is, how they've really been coming through uh, in the last uh, few years. And of course, our unit one, Global Context, uh, was scientific and technical innovation. That ties in hugely with the podcasting world because the podcasting world came up with the rise in tech recently. All these new softwares that that we have had to learn to be able to produce a podcast, learning how to use the equipment, microphones, soundboards, different like environments where we record and this is all things that we had to take into account and we had to we had to learn pretty much the modern form of this whole global communication through podcasts which was directly there with innovation um, and for the second unit of English we did was coming of age around the world and here we read different short stories which tied in with the global concept of identities and relationships and we learned about a lot of almost like issues around the world, such as um, racism, sexism, we did, and we also did, for example, unawareness to awareness. I mean, like, we're almost always in this environment where we're always learning, we're always growing culturally and learning about different ethnicities and being surrounded by them all the time. Uh, so for chemistry, right now we're at a new unit, which is understanding organic chemistry. And for this, the global context is globalization and sustainability. And this is really valid for what we're learning. And even though that we're already at the start at the unit, um, we're already figuring out just how um, organic chemistry can impact um, sustainability in our world. 
Um, we're mostly learning about organic chemicals, how they're found and how they're used, and that includes things like fossil fuels, which um, already from the name you know can uh, are really um, relatable to um, sustainability. Um, we learn about how um, this chemical industry has brought change um, that affects uh, global interactions and can have positive and negative impacts on the environment. And our new summit will also be about um, how uh, things like fossil fuels have changed um, our environment and how, sustain how we view sustainability. So in Individuals and Societies, our first unit focused on the globalization of tourism. Uh, here we talked about the development of tourist attractions, how they seek um, an audience, how they seek to attract tourists from on a global scale, and um, how tourist attractions have become more eco-friendly as we have become more aware of their influence on the environment. And here we focused on scientific and technical innovation, as well as globalization sustainability as our global context, which were, um, here we talked about how scientific and technical innovation allowed us and allowed tourist attractions to become more eco-friendly um, using uh, resources such as sustainable energy and um, incorporating the local communities into these tourist attractions. Okay, well said, thank you. Um, so let's turn to the ATL skills um, charts for a moment from the survey. So for those unfamiliar with the IB terminology, ATL stands for Approaches to Learning Skills. And there are, in the MIP, we have um, categories and we also have clusters. There are five categories. And uh, someone remind us what those five categories are. So we have uh, communication, social, research, thinking, and self-management. Okay, thanks. And those are divided into the 10 clusters. Um, so the clusters, I won't read through all of them, but each, each of those five categories is divided into clusters. Um, communication and social are each just one cluster with the others um, and multiple clusters, two or three. Uh, if you look at the graph that uh, asked students to say which are their most relevant ATL clusters, there were three that, that stood out. Um, so which three are we looking at here, guys? Um, we're looking at communication, organization, and critical thinking. So what are some of the specific ATL skills from those three clusters that you feel you are fairly competent in the use of, uh, if you have a quick look at the lists? Um, I would say for critical thinking, it would definitely be interpreting data, because this is something that's especially seen in individuals and societies or humanities. Um, and it's actually a criteria in the assessments criteria D. So I feel that this is something that we definitely do practice a lot. And it's criteria D is all about thinking outside the box. And it's, well, how is this relevant to real life? And so it ties in what we're doing in that class and it teaches us how to apply it to our everyday life. Okay. okay. So in terms of organization, it is um, clearly extremely important in NYP, as Morvika and Sadie both mentioned you have a lot, of, you have to take a lot of initiative. A lot of it is on yourself. If you need something, you have to be the one to ask for help or, or go and get it yourself. You, you, it's a lot of self-guided learning. And here you, you have to look at, specifically for me, is planning short and long-term assignments to meet deadlines. Deadlines are strict in every school, especially here. Um, and we get tons of assignments. Assignments, uh, if you're an MIP, you'll know they come around the time just before report cards, all the students get smashed with assignments. And you have to be able to plan what you have to do, when you have to do it, and, and how important each one is, because you only have so much time in the day and in the week, and being able to organize yourself and your time is what allows you to complete each assignment to the best of your ability. Any other thoughts on organization? Um. Yeah, I think also just being able to um, balance your life and organize yourself so that you can have, um, you can maintain your interests while doing school and like maintain your own mental health so that you're able to complete your assignments to the best of your ability is really important in this school and I think that's what makes the most successful students. Great, and balance is of course one of the learner profile traits. Yes. Um, Morbika, do you want to talk about communication as a cluster and a category? Yep, so I think for communication, both of them are really valid. Um, I think especially when I came into the school, I found that interactive skills were really important. 
Um, I kind of find it difficult to um, talk to new people, but um, when I came here, I realized that that was a really important skill for me to have to learn. And um, as I came to new school, um, since um, we're in grade 10, we had the personal project. And for my personal project, I realized that I really needed a lot of communication skills and being able to interact with other people. And because I was new, um, it was kind of hard to build a rapport with so many different new people. But um, I realized that this was really important. And as I was able to um, talk to new people and understand more about the Raha culture, um, I realized that like this, in, at Raha, there's a, this really big community and everybody's super involved with everyone. I realized that you can really talk to people here and I found that really interesting and really helpful for my own learning. And I think interactive skills are really important when it comes to communication. Yeah, that's great to hear. So uh, you mentioned personal project. We'll come to that in, in a little while and hear more about all of your personal projects. Uh, another aspect of the survey, which I thought was quite telling, was the question about which subject students felt was most negatively impacted by distance learning. And um, does the graph surprise any of you? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there was one subject that stood out in all of the grades, um, actually apart from grade 6, funnily enough, but uh, which one was it? It was math. Mathematics. Okay, so <laughs> let's have a quick um, discussion about why, why maths specifically seems to be so negatively affected, um, where, whereas all the other graphs were so much lower. Um, I would definitely say it's because math is like there's only one right answer. There's different ways to get to it. And especially with online learning, you can't talk to the teachers directly. And if you do, it's really hard to communicate effectively because exchanging messages through Teams and then they have to share their screen to try to explain it to you. And then if you don't understand, you can't point to where you don't. And I think that also everyone's expectations and work ethic decrease so much during online and I think that everyone just results like okay if I don't understand math I can just figure it out later and then no one understood what they were doing and I think that it was definitely like the most negatively impacted subject throughout sounds, all of online learning. Sounds horrific but as a, as a math teacher myself I, I do know that, that um, uh, yeah, teachers did invest in, in sort of tools and tablets that they could they could use interactive whiteboards and uh, try their best to keep the momentum moving forward but um, certainly I think it's, a, it's an international um, issue really that maths, uh, we're going to be picking up the pieces for a little while trying to fill those gaps and um, that certainly is what we are doing. Anything else to add there? Yeah, I mean math is such a personal subject. There's, like she said, there's one right answer and a million ways to get there and each person has to find the method that works for themselves. And it is impossible for these teachers to teach all these different methods. In a classroom, they can go to each student and say, okay, this isn't working for you, you're not getting it. How about this, try this, this works better. And they can look at students, they can see their facial expressions, their, their body language, see how they're, they're getting on. Whereas at home, when you're behind the computer screen, your teacher can't see if you're struggling. And some students don't take it upon themselves to speak up and say they need help. And they just sit there in the background, not understanding, what's going on and then it comes to haunt them later when it comes for exams or when you come back to school and all of a sudden you're four units ahead. Okay, <laughs> well let's move on. Um, looking at another aspect of the survey which was about the assessment objectives. So just so that listeners can visualize the charts, what we have here are uh, graphs which are asking the students what their understanding is of the assessment objectives, as well as um, what they thought about the importance of the assessment objectives. So here I think it's um, pretty obvious that everyone finds the assessment objectives extremely important when trying to reach those higher grades, but not everyone truly understands what they are or has difficulty getting there. And I think that um, that has been a challenge, especially for me as a new student, trying to understand like what each criteria means, how to get the best grades in each criterion, because you can't do the same thing for each criteria. Um, there's different ways of getting there. And so I think um, definitely using the resources you have, um, using your teachers, using your classmates, um, finding previous assessments, um, and really trying to understand like what the IB is looking for with each assessment. Um, because like I said before, they're different. And um, 
Okay, so yeah. why, why don't we pull out a few specific um, criteria then, uh, which you've got the list in front of you there with the A, B, C, D for each of the subjects. So even though all of you achieve really high grades, there must be certain assessment criteria which perhaps challenge you more than others or that require a little bit more work than others. Um, do you want to start there, Monica? Okay, so um, I think one of the things that really stands out is in math, um, which is criterion B, which is about investigating patterns. I think a lot of people struggle for this, and um, I know I definitely struggle when it comes to this because it's not like when you think about math, you think everything has a right answer. But when it comes to criterion B, it's very um, inquiry-based and you, you have to think on the spot. I think that's a very difficult thing for people to do. And you have to find patterns um, in something you've never seen before. And when it comes to understanding that, it's very difficult for a teacher to be able to explain to you what you can do for that because it's meant to be something new. It's meant to test whether you're able to find patterns in something you've just seen. So it's hard to prepare when it comes to these summatives. Um, and even though, even if you get some um, tests, like some prep tests and things like that, and even if you study, it's very hard to prepare for something like this. And I think the main thing people should do is come to their teacher and really talk about it because once you've done several of these um, summatives you actually begin to understand a lot more about them and um, your teacher is really there to help and I know um, for this summative that we had recently um, a criterion B for um, math I had gone to my teacher and I had asked her some questions about it because I was because I was new um, to this school, this is one of my first criterion Bs um, in this school and the expectations were quite a bit different. So I think that's really important. Okay, so maths criterion B, you want to look out for. Um, anything else? Um, I would also say that for individuals and societies or humanities, criteria D, as I talked about before, it's also just about, for example, we had one in um, psychology, the unit that we just finished, um, and we had to analyze a case study. And we had a critical thinking paragraph, and it was basically asking us to say, well, how would this apply to real life? why is this study applicable to real life? And so there, we had to talk about an unseen case study, which we hadn't seen until the day of the test, and we had to relate that back to the usage in everyday life. And so for me, it was like, it was difficult because I had to think, I had to critically think about everything. Think about maybe for cultures, would it relate to scientific innovations or anything like that? And so I think that Definitely that criteria is all about inquiry and how you interpret different data and how like that's more about how you are as a learner rather than right or wrong answers. Yeah, I've, I've certainly come across INS or Individual Societies criteria D coming up quite a lot of conversations, um, especially to get the really top grades. Um, anything else, guys? Oh uh, yeah, one specifically that I remember standing out is criterion A in design. Um, okay. every, everyone knows that design is a very heavy subject, that like it's, it's not a complex subject so much that it is a lot of work. And Criterion A specifically, you're doing all that research, you, you've got your problem and you have to research about the problem, about the solution, all the different things surrounding it and the students then are writing 15, 20,000 word reports for Criterion A which is probably the largest report I think is that like I think design criterion A is consistently the largest paper you will hand into your teacher and there's and it's not like a paper of words that mean nothing it is a lot of research and that is very difficult for many students that's when they have to be on top of their research skills and making sure that they can take information and organize it and present it clearly and concisely hopefully okay uh, we, we are often in discussions with the design department in terms of looking for ways of, of minimum or of reducing the that crazy word count, um, but yeah, criterion A certainly does test your your research and analytical skills. So, what about criterion C? Is that an easier one? Um, I think criteria C. I left it as design a while ago, but if I do remember, there's only one strand which is actually evaluating the product, and there's another one evaluating your skills. So for having four criterias, two of actually creating the product and the planning process and criteria D, which is about reflecting on your product, for there to be two strands out of the whole thing. 16, I think. Yeah. 
it's just a bit crazy because you would think that the product would be like the, the focal point but it's not like just an IB it's all about like the process of how to get there rather than more just the product itself just like our um, personal project yeah, that has always been a little bit of a head scratcher <laughs> yeah. yeah across the subjects Criterion C does tend to be all about your communication yeah. um, in art it's all about uh, creativity and yeah, I think most cool. students will tell you that Criterion C is the one they worry about the least it is the least stressful because Communication is all, it, it's a skill we're constantly practicing. When you're, you're out with your friends, you're in class, it's always there. So people worry less about communication. But that, that's not to say it isn't important. Everyone, you have to focus because if you want to get those top marks, if you want to make sure that you're truly understanding it, there are little things you have to pay attention to and you have to focus on when it comes to your communication. Right, so let's step away from the serious business of assessment for a moment, tuning to something which you guys all recently completed, which is the personal project. So for listeners who aren't aware, the personal project is the culminating project of the Middle Years program. And it does keep grade 10 students fairly busy um, for anywhere between probably a couple of months up to sort of six months, depending on time management, degree of challenge set, uh, etc. So. If each of you could briefly talk us through your project and perhaps what you gained from going through this process. Yeah, so I um, did my personal project on women's literature and how it's influenced the art of literature over the past few centuries. And I focused on it on an international level. That was a major um, component of my project, making sure that I was focusing on every single country and every single genre so that I could gain a more comprehensive view of literature as a whole. And I think that um, this project really challenged my ability to research and um, produce something for myself and also my independence because um, there was no one person guiding me on this project. It was myself. And so um, when I ran into a challenge, um, I had to figure out a way in which I would overcome it. Um, yeah. So um, my project was about uh, creating a digital literary and arts magazine in which I, um, I opened up submissions for, um, for grades uh, 6 to 12 and students across um, the MIP and DP uh, submitted different literary and arts works um, to me and I was able to publish them in a digital website. And I think this was actually a really large challenge for me. Um, when I started uh, coming up with this idea, I already knew it was going to be quite a bit of work because I had to, um, I had to uh, create an entire website and during this time. Um, but actually, in the end, the main challenge was being able to get people to submit. And um, I know I, I actually um, had a lot of struggled with um, time management because um, even after the deadline I had set for um, getting submissions, nobody had actually submitted. Um, and in the end, I was able to get quite a few submissions. And um, it was a really tough process, but I think I really gained a lot of um, skills from it, especially um, communication, because I had to go to so many different teachers and students to be able to um, get the message out there to advertise my product. And yeah, that was my project. Well done. Yeah, it must have taught you um, patience as well. <laughs> Definitely. Well, extra patience. It does get frustrating when you're relying on people and you have the, the goal in mind. Get there somehow. What about you, Rafael? Um, for my personal project, I made three podcast episodes, um, and I did them all about important women in history who they're like they deserve more recognition for what they've done. And I named the podcast "Woman in the Shadows." And one of the episodes was about my grandmother because she was the first woman in her family to actually graduate university, and she was the only woman in her class, so it taught her a lot about perseverance and, you know, like kind of sticking up for what you believe is right. And I think that this message was brought on to me when I was very young and I wanted other girls to, just because you don't see someone that looks like you, that doesn't mean it's impossible. And I think that that was the main thing that I was trying to reach, like a more of a young audience. And I would definitely say that it was a challenge. It was the first time that I've ever done a podcast all by myself. It was the first time that I've ever written a script 20 minutes long for three episodes all by myself. The research was done by me and I would say that I'm very proud of what I accomplished. My personal project was uh, building a model car. I spent 
many, many hours. I think I spent over 30 hours uh, at my, my workbench building a model of a 1979 Ford Bronco. Why? Uh, because <laughs> I love cars. Uh, yeah, I was, um, I have this obsession with cars, uh, so I wanted to do something that was fun, and actually that was probably the best choice I made in my personal project, was choosing something that I enjoy, because when you choose something you enjoy in your personal project, it doesn't feel like a task, it doesn't feel like work. You want to do it. I wanted to be there working on it, and that made it so much easier to complete. I think if I had chosen something that felt like a task, like writing reports, I would have been sitting there, oh, I don't want to do my personal project, and it would have dragged out, and procrastination would have taken over, and I probably would have struggled. Did you have a family member, your dad, or someone to help you? Um, he was there to help. Um, he, we, we did work together to, uh, to plan, and there were some points when I was very frustrated with certain parts that, weren't, that wouldn't go together. There were over 3,000 parts, so tiny little pieces or big pieces that wouldn't go in the right place. And I would sort of, when I'm about to snap, I'd say, Dad, here, you take a look. And he'd figure it out, and that would just give me a minute to calm down before I uh, break my project back into its 3,000 plus pieces. Okay, right, so you certainly learned a lot of skills and self-management, patience, uh, yes. not breaking things. Yes. Okay, awesome. Um, so when you and Rothier were back in grade five, I wonder if you can remember about the exhibition. I know my daughter's in grade five now. Um, you guys were in grade five in 2017. She's currently working on her exhibition. Um, what, what did you guys do then? I remember this really well because it was the first time that we had ever received an independence to actually make a project on our own and, you know, kind of like choose everything by ourselves. You worked in groups though, didn't you? Yeah, but um, I worked with two of my classmates and I found a way to tie the global content. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I meant the transdisciplinary theme and it was where we are in place and time. And um, so for mine, I chose to do it about ancient Egypt and I remember being so passionate about doing something like having that independence that I actually came to the science block when I was in PYP and I crossed over to the NYP and I asked the science department for like a skeleton and I wrapped it around in toilet paper from the school and I put it in there. I painted a backdrop completely of like three pyramids. I did absolutely everything and I think like that was the most fun I've ever had in PYP because that was like my most memorable moment and I still remember everything. Yeah, the big project in uh, PYP. I was actually the only student in um, I don't, that, that I've known, or the only one in, in my year group and that I've heard of so far that actually did the exhibition alone. I was not in the group. Um, okay. And I did mine on uh, technology. I was focusing on how uh, technology has improved over the years. I looked at old computers and new computers and cell phones and how it's all changed so much recently and the sort of um, exponential growth of the, te of the technology world, which is ever so true now. Nice. Yeah. Okay, so staying with when you were in grade five, when you were done with the exhibition, you started thinking a little bit more about your transition into the middle years program. So I'd like you to think back, can you remember much about what you were feeling and could you compare this with how you felt for the first few days or weeks of grade six? Uh, yeah, for sure. I remember the last few weeks of grade five. Um, the teachers were very focused on preparing you for the MYP. They were always talking about, you're going to have to do this next year. This is going to be different next year. And I remember, actually the most memorable point for me actually was getting my, my Osra House assignment. I remember we were all divided into rooms to meet the kids that were going to be in our advisories for the next five years. So that was very memorable, but I also remember all the teachers telling us about how the workload would change and how it's how you would have to take a lot more uh, ownership of, of your own actions, your own learning, and that was definitely true. I found moving grade five to six, while the work didn't get much harder, it was there was a lot more of it. And you, the teachers weren't there to hold your hand through everything. Oh, I'm sorry, you know, help me here, help me there. You really had to right away take it upon yourself and you had to look at what you had to do and then do it yourself. And if you needed help, they could help you obviously, but you really had to look at, this is, it's now my job to teach myself. Right. Anything else? Um, yeah, I definitely remember 
the last few weeks of PYP and spending the whole summer stressing about everything because I was so nervous like if I didn't know what to do I didn't know where to go what if I was late to my classes like every single bad scenario that would that I thought could happen I visualized in my head and I think that when I actually got to the first day of NYP it wasn't as bad as I thought like it was actually nice to you know be with all of your classmates that you were with before but now it was like you had a more independent environment so it was like you had teachers for every single subject which we had never had so that kind of like you would build a relationship with that teacher based on that subject and then so they would always be there to help you and I think that also it wasn't like you were doing it alone it was everyone that was kind of struggling at the same time the teachers knew that we knew that so I think it was a very comfortable environment that Raha created for us to be able to actually have a good time in the first year of MYP. Great, so same sort of questions before then. What what advice would you give to a grade five student now? Let's ask you to Morvika and Sadie. I think uh, definitely like don't be too overwhelmed by what you've heard about um, MYP. I think definitely when I was moving here, although it was in grade 10, I was um, very worried about how much time I'd be spending working rather than doing um, other things that I love. Um, but I think just like enjoying um, every single subject you have, finding a way to enjoy it, and definitely finding like your passion within each subject, and finding like a way to research your way into that passion. And yeah. How do you get students to not get hung up on grades? Because that's that's the old way of thinking, which we we're trying to get out of students' minds, but of course parents are hugely interested in grades and eventually universities will be interested in grades, but in the NYP we just want learning to be rich and exciting and it potentially could be if we don't get hung up on grades. Um, is that possible to answer? <laughs> um, I think the focus for people should be to aim as high as you can when it comes to grades, but when you get your grade back I think the most important thing is to think that whether you've done your best or not, That's it's not answer, it's yeah. not about how well you like whatever grade you got. It's about did you try your hardest and did you do you feel like you could have done more or if you don't feel like you could have done more, then then it's not necessarily your fault. Um, I think you shouldn't drag yourself down depending on what bad grades you've gotten or what you feel about your grades. I think everybody's standard is also very different. And I know that a lot of the times, sometimes people feel really happy with certain grades and then for other people they may feel very disappointed with that same grade. And I think um, the best thing for you to do is um, first raise your standard so you don't feel like, oh, okay, I'm probably going to get a three for this, but uh, it's fine. Just be like, okay, I'm going to aim for the best grade I can get. And even if I don't reach there, I should, be, I should feel satisfied that I did my, I tried my hardest and I did the best that I could possibly do and I think that's that's your aim, not not to get the highest grade but to do the best you can do. I completely agree with Morgan, I think it is a mindset thing. You have to be focused on, I am like, each, each person will be different, will be better at something else, like something different to the other person. You, everyone has their own strengths and you have to understand that it's not about holding yourself to other people's standards. You have to hold yourself to your own standard and you, you, you have to be you have to be forgiving to yourself. Do your best and your best is your best for you, not your best for your friend. So make sure that you're focusing on what you can do for you because it is your learning and ultimately you will find the most improvement when you focus on yourself and your own performance rather than trying to constantly compare yourself to everyone else, which is the urge. And I know I've definitely succumbed to that urge many times. Um, just for those uh, unfamiliar with the MIP way of assessing, uh, there are no surprises. Generally, uh, everything is crystal clear in terms of what is required to get a certain grade. Um, and it's all in the rubrics, the, the criteria A, B, C, D, uh, the task sheet provided by the teachers. So it does, in my opinion, come down a lot to, to the individual students and how, how motivated and um, willing they are, I guess, to put in the time to actually focus on the requirements of the assessment. Um, and I think that is reflected in, in grades. Uh, but anything else to add from anyone there? No, all right, so let's move on to service. So of course service is a, is a massive component um, in any IB school, and the service as action aspect of the middle years program has no doubt kept you rather busy. 
and hopefully added some value to your overall experience. We have a service selection coordinator, so I'm not um, directly involved there. So I'd like to hear some of your your most memorable um, service experiences. Let's start with Adrian. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I. Uh I definitely I think this is a big one. Any Ross students who are listening will definitely remember this one. In grade seven, we had a service action trip where we got to go to Tanzania. That was by far the most memorable and probably the most fun I've ever had doing service action. You're out traveling with your friends. You're, you're out with your friends. Your parents aren't there. A school trip to a, a different country. And we, when we were there, we actually went and we helped a local school build uh, bathrooms. And that was all. That that was our service part. We were we were helping people we were helping to build and that was um it was it, it felt very meaningful i always look back on that experience and uh it puts a big smile on my face not only just how much fun i had but also the good i was able to do Rothio? i think it's just about finding things yourself that you like that you want to do either for yourself or for others because it's like you can learn a new language and that can be an action that you take yeah. um and for me this year i actually tutored um, a kid in grade six uh, to with like math and everything and he was struggling with that and I think that like I was being the person for him that I wish that I had when I was in grade six someone to tell me that like it's fine if you don't get the top marks you know and like helping them whatever they needed and I think that that's always something nice to do and the fact that I I could do it for service action is just another part of it because I think it's just important to grow like not only academically when you're in the IB but also helping out the community as well I think is really important. Great. What about you guys? Um, for me since I came from a different school um, our requirements for service and action were a bit different um, so I actually took part in a lot of um, service and action activities and I think um, a lot of them were really memorable and one of them was um, actually, um, in that school, performances were um, actually considered service. Um, so um, I was part of several different um, like orchestras and bands and things like that. And um, one of my ensembles that I was a part of was able to um, perform for the um, former Secretary General Ban Ki-moon. Wow. Um, and so at one of the um, school's uh, MUN uh, conferences, um, Monkey Moon had actually come to um, our school and we were able to perform for him and that was a really memorable experience um, especially and it was a really highlight, big highlight of my violin career as well and I think that was like a really wonderful experience for, for me and everyone in the, my ensemble. Nice, why don't you just uh, quickly tell the listeners about your recent uh, achievements with your violin? Oh yes, yeah, so, um, so I had taken part in the um, ADYM competition, um, which was the Abu Dhabi um, Young Musician uh, competition, and um, it has a lot of different instruments. You start out with just competing with other people within your instrument um, category, and then you get when you get to the last stage and you're competing with the finalist of different instruments. Um, I think it was a really great experience. I got to um, talk with a lot of other people and meet some new people and it was really um, a wonderful experience. And yeah, you're being very modest. You, you, you were the top violinist, weren't you? And overall you came second, is that right? Overall I came second, yeah. yes. Wow, wow. Um, yeah, so for my service action, um, I um, volunteered at a summer camp for a few weeks and it was a local summer camp near my cottage and I was able to help out kids at the camp who were living in the area and it was definitely a um, more disadvantaged area of um, my province in Canada. So it was um, really rewarding giving these kids like a chance to go to the summer camp and um, do a lot of things that they wouldn't have been able to do, especially because of COVID. Um, we spent a lot of time outside and really um, just talking about how important the wilderness is um, and getting in touch with that and also being able to um, make connections with all these young kids and their different experiences in the world and um, then they gave me a lot of um, knowledge that I didn't previously have um, about like what it means to truly express yourself and um, have your unique place in the world. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, service is certainly a big aspect of, um, of the IB system as I mentioned. 
Um, so it's nice to hear specific examples of what you guys have done. So you guys are nearly finished with the MIP, and uh, I think we have, what, seven weeks left? I think your grades are due on the 20th of June. And um, obviously you're starting to think, or have already started thinking about your diploma program years coming up. And um, what about, which, which subjects are you looking forward to, and why? Um, I guess I can start. So I chose to take higher level global politics, which I don't think it's ever been offered here before, but I'm really excited for that. I have a lot of interest in politics, political science, and law, and so I'm hoping to really pursue that in that subject. Um, I'm also taking high-level English Lit, which I love literature as was present in my personal projects, and I'm excited to analyze it and really focus on that more rather than other um, facets of English, um, such as podcasts or documentaries, which we've done in the past, and just more, Great. yeah. Um, I think I'm most looking forward to doing um, Physics HL. Um, um, I'm also doing um, Math HL and um, Economics HL, or, or maybe um, Chemistry HL. It um, kind of depends on where I want to go to in the future. But um, the reason I'm most interested in Physics is because um, we're really going to be um, reaching uh, some other topics that we haven't really been doing so far in um, uh, MYP. And we're going to be doing something that's um, quite new because this is my first year of just doing physics um, since in previous years it was about integrated sciences. And now that we're really um, starting to dive into our personal interests, um, I'm really excited to see um, what we're going to learn and what we're going to do when it comes to um, going into these really individual subjects when before it was about um, taking everything and putting it in, into an overall subject like humanities, which is now split up into several different things. And uh, what, what do you intend to do with physics one day? Do you, do you plan to use it in a job? Yeah, so I want to go into um, um, maybe aerospace engineering. Um, I'm also taking global politics next year, and I'm really excited because it shows you so much just more in the political science or, you know, just like the broad aspect of it. I think it'll like bring it to the next level, and I'm really excited to learn about it. And you're looking at uh, doing what? I'm looking at doing a double degree in Spain of international law and business administration. Um, I am a science person myself. I am very much looking forward to doing um, higher level uh, biology and chemistry. Um, I, I love science, and I just can't wait to get into the, the really advanced um, little areas of science. Yeah. What do you want to do after school? Um, I'm going to go to university and study uh, kinesiology and go on to become an orthopedic surgeon. Okay, so you won't be taking cars apart, you'll be taking knees apart. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> hopefully you can put them back together. Sure, hopefully. <laughs> right, so thanks so much guys for sharing your thoughts today. Um, before you go back to class, I'd like to ask each of you to quickly mention your top three learner profile traits. Let's start with Adrian. Yes, so I think my uh, top three learner profile traits uh, is uh, communicators. So I definitely think um, I am a strong communicator. I like to think that um, I am also uh, very open-minded. I always love to um, look for an, a, new, a new way to figure something out, a new way to look at something, uh, new solutions, and inquire. I've always been a curious mind. If, uh, if, the, if there's a question, if I have a question, I have to have the answer and I have to have it uh, right away. Um, I would say for me, reflective, I mean it definitely sometimes when you think that you did really well on an assignment and the grades come back and you didn't do as well as you hope you did, rather than just beating myself up for it, I've learned to take the constructive criticism and actually build myself to never do that again or like learn from my mistakes. Balanced as well because I definitely do other things outside of school, like I've been playing the piano for over half of my life. and definitely balancing out doing the exams and you know trying to get better at it and then also balancing school at the same time it's definitely something that is not easy but if you have enough passion for it then I mean it can definitely be done and I also would like to think that I'm a communicator I also like to if I don't know something I ask the teacher about it I'm usually never I don't hold back like I always want to know and like I'm not really scared of asking questions because I always think that like there's probably people that are wondering the same thing as me I think for me, um, one of my top um, learner profile traits would be open-minded um, because I've lived in a lot of places, um, I've traveled to a lot of places. 
I, my mind has been opened up to um, to so to actually to so much. Um, I've traveled to over forty countries, and it's um, it's crazy to see how different each country is, and how every culture is so different. I know my family as well really loves to see the different kind of cultures and things like cuisines and traditions. I think being open-minded is even more important than being an inquirer or thinker because it's what um, brings everybody together and um, learning things like learning new languages and instruments and things like that, I think that's very important um, when it comes to um, being part of this, part of a community and part of society. Um, and some of the other learner profile traits um, I think I'm top at are um, being a thinker. Uh, because um, I'm really interested in both the creative and critical thinking and I think um, when it comes to, um, to uh, my different subjects in school um, this is one of the, um, the criterion and um, uh, traits that I'm best at. Great. What do you say? Uh, for me, I think the number one thing is being balanced um, in my life. I've spent the past 10 years playing the piano and the past three years playing the guitar and I love running and reading and being able to balance that with um, school is really important for me to be able to perform at my best level in everything I do um, and to keep my mind like clear and to be able to focus on what I'm doing at that moment. And then also definitely being open-minded, being able to take other people's ideas when you're doing projects. Um, being able to understand and want to seek to understand other cultures and values, um, which I think is really um, emphasized in the school. And then also definitely being reflective, um, both like in the way that you act in the world and after an assessment. Like it's important, especially to me, to um, be able to constantly be improving myself. And I wouldn't be able to do that without being reflective. Right, so we've got two pianists and a violinist. Do you play anything? No, I don't play anything. You just take cars apart. Yes, yeah. awesome. What about you, Mr. Vaughn? <laughs> uh, okay, um, I think I'm probably reflective, principled, I guess, hopefully, and um, definitely a risk taker because I'm putting this podcast together. I don't really have time or skills to do it, but we'll figure it out as we go. <laughs> Anyway, thanks so much for having the chat with me, guys, and thanks for listening at home. Until next time, bye. Bye. bye.